Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Happy to have you stop by. Many of our regular listeners to this show have traveled to Branson with me via the radio, bringing news of great family entertainment and fun vacations. Thanks to Mona Stafford, our Bot Radio Network Regional Manager for Southwest Missouri and Northwest Arkansas, and my good friend Lynn Berry from ExploreBranson.com. We've had some incredible guests over the years. Now, recently, Mana was out at Silver Dollar City and did an interview with Nick and Aaron Dira Walinda. For seven generations, the Walinda family has shocked millions around the world with their death-defying stunts on the wire way, way up in the sky. Nick Walinda has single-handedly broken 13 Guinness World Records. He has walked the skyline in Chicago and in New York's Times Square. He walked over an active volcano in Nicaragua and across the Grand Canyon and Niagara Falls. Nick has a brand new show, Nick Walinda's Zirkus, performing at Silver Dollar City now through July 24th, except for Thursdays. I thought you would enjoy hearing the Walinda story, so let's join Mana now as she introduces Nick and Erendira Walinda. Can we just jump in here, Nick, and let me just start with this book. It's called Balance, A Story of Faith, Life, and Family, Life on the Wire, Mm -hmm. and that's you two. Um, What I thought we might start with is your first memory. Yeah, so my first memory of performing goes back to when I was about two years old. My parents would have a wire set up in the backyard. That's where they did all their training and preparation for everything that we do. And I would see my parents on the wire doing what they love. It was sort of a playground in our backyard, to be honest with you. Sure. And I saw them having fun on that wire and playing. And to this day, we still have chicken fights on the wire as family. (laughs) And the fact that you could tell they loved what they did. And as a small child, just like a child that sees his father with a hammer driving a nail in, he wants to grab that hammer and try to drive that nail in. And it was the same for me. So at two years old, I was reaching up to my parents, again, only a couple feet off the ground Uh saying, let me play on the playground too. That's my (laughs) earliest recollection of of being on the wire. Now, it goes even further than that with my mom being six months pregnant with me and still walking the wire. Is that right? The longer than my feet have been planted on firm soil, I've been on the wire and above the ground. Amazing. Amazing. Well, from your book, Balance, it was written in 2013, but you continually throughout it give glory to God and you talk about how your family raised you to love the Lord. Yeah, thank God. I mean, that is certainly the essence of who I am, who my family is. Thank God that I had incredible God-fearing Christian parents that raised me upright. Yes. I can't imagine where I would be without them, without my parents, and of course, without God being in my life and Jesus being in my heart. That's really been the journey that I've been on and the platform that God has given me is is somewhat overwhelming. It's a huge mm-hmm. blessing. And to be honest, you know, it all goes back to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, where God gives you the desires in your heart. Yes, he does. And if we acknowledge him in all of our ways, and that mm-hmm. really is what it goes back to, is I've continually acknowledged him in every one of my TV specials, every public platform mm-hmm. that I'm given, mm-hmm. and he has continued to open doors again, and I'm sure we'll hit on Niagara Falls in a bit oh, here. Oh, yes. Those doors that are seemingly unopenable. Mm-hmm. Well, and you were homeschooled, and I loved it when I read that your mother, Delilah, homeschooled you yes. and your she, sister. She did, yeah, both me and my sister, she did, and all the while performing and traveling and dealing with all of the, the struggles of being a circus performer. You know, yes. I grew up in a circus family, and, and the reason for my homeschooling was... To be honest, there wasn't an option other than that while I was traveling. Now, when I was home 
we would go to a private Christian school, my mm-hmm. sister and I. But while we were traveling, my mom would homeschool us. My education was more than just a history book. My education was actually walking on the Gettysburg battlefields because we'd be performing in the area. Yes. And we would go on field trips to the most amazing places in the world. Those opportunities have given me a knowledge that has helped me in the business side of life as well. Then again, to spend that much time with family. I oh, mean, yes. we are very much a tight-knit family. My mom still continues to travel with me whenever I'm on TV. My dad is my head safety coordinator, mm-hmm, all mm-hmm. of my big events, mm-hmm. oversees all the safety as well as he's the one in my ear talking to me if there's any issues or troubles. He's he's the one that re- fixes them while I'm out in the middle of the Grand Canyon or wherever I might be. So again, a very, very supportive family. That's awesome. Well, here's the other part that I want to really emphasize, and that's Erin Dara. And she's sitting next to you. And you know what? You are beautiful. Here's what Aww, Nick writes thanks. in his book. He says he is at an animal farm in New Hampshire, and he sees the most wondrous creature of all, a female. (laughs) She is still a girl, but she has the beauty of a woman. When he saw you, I mean, it had to be love at first sight nearly. Well, that's really, really sweet. Well, the proposal, let's talk about the proposal. Every woman, I mean, we're all so romantic and we don't really expect the men to be quite as romantic as we are. Right. But Erin Dara, can you describe that proposal? It was in a circus. It was. So okay. we, well, I wasn't performing, but Nicholas was performing with his family, the Seven Person Pyramid mm-hmm. in Canada. It was one of the last days there. And his uncle, who was a clown, kept on telling me, come on, come, let's watch it. To tell you the truth, back then, I think I was like just about 18 years old and it made me really, really nervous oh, I to see. watch yes. the Seven Person uh-huh. Pyramid because I didn't come from wire walking like my my family's mm-hmm. known more for trapeze. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll watch, but it used to make me so nervous. I remember watching and everybody gets down from the platform and Nicholas is still up there and I still had no idea what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I was like, what are you doing? So he gets to the middle of the wire and still had no idea. And then his uncle, who was a clown, brought me to the center of the ring. Mm -hmm. And growing up in this business, you have so much respect for that ring. And I was like, oh my goodness, no, you don't play. Like, don't don't do that. that. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. Let me down. So I thought I was going to get in trouble by all the performers. And then he kneels down and this big banner comes up in the center of the wire. And it was, will you marry me? And I was like, so shocked by it that my mother-in-law came up to me and she like, Pat me on the shoulder. She's like, you have to say yes this now. Is and I was like, oh, yes. yes, yes. But I was so... <laughs> so he kneels he, on the wire. Yes, he oh. does. Yeah. Oh, it was I precious. can just see that. Yeah. Mr. Nick, you talked about the seven-person pyramid, and you've also done an eight. You did have an issue with the seven-person. The seven-person pyramid is like poetry on it a is. wire. So the best description, four people standing on the wire, and the two in the front, they're in line with each other. Mm-hmm. The two in the front have a bar between their shoulders. The two in the back have a bar between their shoulders shoulders. There's someone standing on each one of those bars with a bar between their shoulders. Now you have two levels, four, then two, and then someone standing on top of that. Now my family history is not only do they stand, but they'll sit on a chair and then we'll walk out in the middle of the wire in perfect motion. Yes, It is incredibly important that we are in perfect unison. And when we get to the middle, we stop and that person in the middle who when I first started doing it was always my mom, mm-hmm. will stand up on that chair and then sit back down and we'll go back in. It's a very tough trick to, to learn. It takes a lot of trust more than anything. But if one person fails, the entire mm-hmm. pyramid fails. Mm-hmm. It's a great analogy for life, even as a, a marriage. You know, you're in a team and, and one one's life depends on the other. And, and that's the truth in what I do often on that wire is we are trusting our lives in each other's hands. 
I think that's really taught me to trust God too in tough times. You know, there are times where where we start to waver in our faith, and and then we realize, well, God is always there, and He'll never leave or forsake us, and, and He accepts us through it all. I think we can be judgmental on ourselves, and so many times in my life, I know I've thought, oh man, I'm I'm a failure. I continue to fail, and then I remember Romans three twenty three that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I remember the stories of Peter and the amount of times that he had failed over and over mm-hmm. and over again, and, and his faith had wavered, including when he was walking on water and and looked. Away Away from from Jesus, which I use that analogy a lot in life, mm-hmm. and and really that's what the wire is about. We always focus on the other side in our faith. Jesus Christ is on the other side. Our Lord and Savior is mm-hmm. waiting for us, mm-hmm. and it's so important when I'm walking on these wires that I continually focus on the other side, that I don't get distracted by the troubles of the world. Very right. much our walk in faith. I don't get distracted by the waves or the heavy mist of Niagara Falls mm-hmm. or or the waves of, of volcanic mm-hmm. uh, ash underneath me. But I stay focused on that solid rock on the other side and. and not get overly distracted because when I do, that's when I teeter and begin to fall. Mick, you really don't hold anything back. You talk about lack of faith. You talk about the times when you're just full of faith and we all have both, don't yes, we? Yes, that's right. I mean, it's a combination. But um, I wanted to just reference Carl Walenda. Yes. Very important man in your family. Carl fell, didn't he? He did, yes. So my great-grandfather was Carl Walenda. He was really the patriarch of the family. My family's been doing this since the 1780s, mm-hmm. over 200 years seven generations. My great-grandfather brought my family over to the United States because of his ingenuity in entertainment and in the circus world. Mm -hmm. And my family was able to come to the United States to perform on on Ringling Brothers Barnum & Bailey Circus, perform there for many years. Eventually, he's the one who created the seven-person pyramid that I just spoke about, Yes, which was nothing that anyone had ever seen prior to him doing that, anything even close to that. In fact, there's a story of them performing in Madison Square Gardens where after performing that, they received a 15-minute standing ovation. Amazing. An amazing performance former performed walks all over Veteran Stadium, performed over many Major League Baseball games. Eventually, he walked over Tallulah Gorge in Georgia, almost Mm -hmm. 700 feet up, 1,000 feet across. He was 64 at the time. He was performing with with my family in San Juan, Puerto Rico in 1978. Ticket sales weren't going well at the circus that he was on in Puerto Rico. He said, you know, why don't we set a wire up between a couple hotel towers near the water, Mm -hmm. and I'll do a walk, and it'll garnish a bunch of media attention, and people will come see the show because they'll want to see me live in person. Essentially, they set a wire up. Unfortunately, he didn't realize that it was stabilized improperly. Mm-hmm. And about halfway out on that wire, he began to wobble a bit. Mm-hmm. And he did what we are all taught to do, which is to go down and hold on to that wire. We can slide down the ropes or we have rescue crews that can get to us. Mm-hmm. And he did what he was supposed to do, what we all knew to do. But after doing some studies, I had a, a series on the Discovery Channel years back called Danger by Design. And we brought some geriatric specialist doctors in that analyzed the video clip by clip, second by second, frame by frame. And as they watch that, it is their opinion that at 72 years old, the amount of adrenaline that my Mm -hmm. great-grandfather experienced was probably too much for his heart to handle and and put him into cardiac arrest, Mm -hmm. which is eventually why he fell. He had done this so long, he'd walked a wire his whole life as well, that you don't really get an adrenaline rush like that unless something goes really wrong. And unfortunately, he fell to his death there in 1978, March of 78, and I was born in January of 79, and that was sort of the legacy that I'd inherited. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the seven-person pyramid. There was also a a fall on that in Detroit. That's right. Yeah, so 1962, my great-grandfather created the seven-person pyramid in 1947 Mm -hmm. and performed it successfully until 1962 when they were performing at the State Fair Coliseum in Detroit, Michigan. We don't really know what happened, but halfway out on that wire... That pyramid collapsed, and two of my uncles were killed. One was paralyzed from the waist down. 
My great-grandfather was in the hospital with injuries, and against the doctor's orders, he snuck out of the hospital and performed the next day. Living by the words, the show must go on. I mean, mm -hmm. that was who he was. He was the embodiment of that. To him, there was no other choice. This no. is what you do. This you get you back do. on the wire. I was created for this purpose, and I'm going to fulfill my purpose, which means even though I might have a couple broken ribs and an injured collarbone, it doesn't matter. I'm going to get back on the wire and keep doing what I do. When you wanted to recreate that seven-person pyramid, and that had some problems too, and your sister, she was injured badly. She was, um, yeah. So in my second book, Facing Fear, I talk a lot about this. In 2017, we were training actually for an eight-person pyramid. We were going to break our world record and set the world record for the highest four-level eight-person pyramid. So we trained for several months, mm -hmm. as we do for everything. Everything we train for is down low on that same two-foot wire that I, it was in the backyard when I was a year and a half old. And once we get comfortable at two feet and we feel like it's safe and in the right moment, we start to go higher mm -hmm. and higher. We trained for several months and then eventually brought it up to full height in Sarasota, Florida, where we were going to premiere it to Guinness World Records and a live audience. Mm -hmm. And as we were training, it was the second day we'd done a successful eight-person pyramid up high. The second day, halfway out on the wire, that's when that pyramid collapsed and it, it fell to the ground. By the grace of God, I caught the wire my cousin caught the wire. Another gentleman stayed standing, but five performers, family members fell to the ground. Mm -hmm. Certainly a very confusing time in my life. You know, one of my main points in Facing Fear, I talk a lot about your internal dialogue and, and controlling that and, and how that is so important that we learn that we're in control of our thoughts. Our thoughts are not in control of us. And the Bible says to cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've practiced for so long. When I have a negative thought, A, I either counter it with scripture, which is always positive mm -hmm. if it's applied properly. And again, I counter negativity with positiveness. Walking across the Grand Canyon, 48 mile an hour gusts of wind, I can counter that with training with 90 mile an hour winds. So I know that I'm prepared. It's not me fooling myself. It's training and preparation that's led to that, to be able to confidently take that first step. But that confusion started to set in and I had family members in three different hospitals, five mm -hmm. different family members. My sister, my aunt injured very, very bad. My sister had landed on her face. She broke every bone in her face. In fact, she currently has 73 screws and plates in her face alone. We didn't know if she would live. She was in a coma. It was very, very, very tough time. And I had the same decision to make that my great-grandfather had to make. Two days after that, I was contracted to perform a walk over about 22,000 people. And I was contracted to do that. And the way I was raised was if you sign a contract, that's your word. And, mm -hmm. and nothing will come between that. I've by the grace of God, never missed a performance in my entire life. Been very ill. I've held the seven-person pyramid for 10 days with a broken ankle. Mm. Not, didn't even go to the doctor because I didn't want, the doctor would have told me I couldn't perform. For generations, that's the way we live. No matter what you perform, you perform with excellence. Look, that's what we're supposed to do. We're called to represent Christ. And everything we do, whether it's sweeping the ground or washing the truck mm -hmm. or at work, whether people are watching or not, that's the way I've always Dude, lived my life. Mm -hmm. So I did. I got back on the wire and started to perform. And it was during that time that I started believing the lies that were being put into my head. Mm. The good Lord allowed you to go on. He made you brave. He did. Of course, the Lord always makes us brave when we can trust in him fully. Mm -hmm. But I'll also tell you that there's also doubt in times like that as well. The first thing we do is we go to God whenever there's an issue, where do we turn? Well, hopefully we turn to God. Often we turn to him in blame. Say, well, Lord, oh, why did yes. you allow this to happen? You know, if you're a good God, why is this happening in our world? And I think it's so easy for us to do that. And then we have great things. And we're like, oh, Lord, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. So look, I think there was, a, there was a struggle going on in my mind at that point as well of like, wait, why did this happen to me? God, I've always acknowledged you in all of my ways. Mm -hmm. But see, what I've come to learn throughout my career is that when, when tragedy strikes, God's at work. 
and great things can come out of those times. As long as we deal with them the right way, great things will come out of those and lives will be touched and lives will be changed through those situations. That was really even my sister as she came out of a coma, that was her thing was like, no, this is good things are going to come of this. Mm -hmm. It didn't kill me. We have an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion, but he's not going to win this one. Again, I think that's so important that we realize during those really difficult times in life that God's at work. And I can tell you, in my life, that is the most prevalent time that I see God at work is during the, when we're in the valleys, it's in those valleys is when we need to seek God first Mm -hmm. and acknowledge him. And that's what I've always done in my life. And I've again, come to realize through life and through experience that that's when God's at work. Yes. And if we can, if we can realize, yes, it's tough right now, but there is glory on the other side and there's a mountaintop coming through this because Mm -hmm. every valley leads to a mountaintop. Mm -hmm. That's the reality of it. So I think we have to realize when we're we're in those valleys, that's actually not a bad time. God's just carving us and making us, and beautiful things will come from that situation. You mentioned this a while ago, learn to fall. You were taught to fall, all of you. Absolutely. I think it's so important that we do prepare. I mean, look, that's why we're supposed to be in God's word every day, because Mm -hmm. it's about preparing to fall. That's the wire, right? That's the wire we're supposed to land on. If we're in God's word daily, then when we do fall, we will catch that wire of the word and be able to get back up and keep going. But it's those that struggle with that. And I think, look, I think we all struggle with that if we're honest. But I know I struggle. I, I wish I had, yeah, I gave more time to God. And, and mm-hmm. I realize the more time I'm in my prayer closet and spending time with God, the easier things brush off. Troubles of the world still come, but it's, they're easier to deal with. Because again, we have a roadbook to life, which is the Bible. I think that's so important that we are in the Word of God because we will fall. There will be a time that we'll, we'll teeter and we'll fall. It's life. It's the life that we are living, and there will always be ups and downs through that life. But as long as you're prepared for those downs, then life will continue to go on. The Niagara Falls walk, that walk was incredible, really incredible. I was done at night because concerned about the birds there. There's Mm -hmm. a lot of birds that may be attacking you on the wire. Yep. And then you write in the book about what you had to go through just to get permission from both countries, of course, Canada and the United States. And you write... It's on, it's off, it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. I mean, it was like a roller coaster for it you. Was. And you wrote, and this was your prayer, you said, Lord, if it's your will, if it's your will to remove this goal from my heart, remove it. If this dream and desire is misplaced or merely my willfulness, let the dream and desire die. And then you say, set me free. Yeah, it's funny. I pray that all the time as I work on future walks and every walk that I've done, that if it's not God's will, I don't want to be a part of it. You know, Lord, is this my desire or is this a desire that you placed in me? Right. Look, I think that's confusion that all Christians deal with, especially at a young age. I know I really dealt with that of, you know, what is my calling for life and what does God want me to do with my life? And it's certainly a struggle. But yeah, I mean, that walk over Niagara Falls was on, off, on, off. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, I'll bring it up again because it's really my favorite scripture. But, you know, there's a part of that scripture that says, lean not on your own understanding. Exactly. And so many times we want to make things like make sense. Well, God, why is this stuff happening? And, and as eventually it took, by the way, changing a law that was over 100 years in the United States and having legislation written that was signed by the governor of New York State mm-hmm. to allow me to do that walk. And then the same similar process on the Canadian side that had to go through the House of Parliament, etc. It was a very, very tedious task. As I was going through it, yeah, there were times I would, I would remember going back to my from, – from New York – back to my place Mm -hmm. in Sarasota, sitting on the couch in tears, like, Lord, asking again, is this desire, like, is this something that you want me to do? 
because I'm ready just to give up. And God continued to reassure me, you need to continue to pursue this. And I continued to pursue it. And and God continued to open doors. But but looking back again, during those times that were a trial of sorts in my life, I look back and if it wasn't for the yes and the no and the no and the yes and the ups and the downs, there wouldn't have been 13 million people in the US watching it live. There wouldn't have been 1 billion people that saw it within a week of that walk. I think it was 24 hours. A mm-hmm. billion people, that's a seventh of the world's population Amazing. saw that. But it was those ups and downs. It was those trials that built a worldwide story That's and right. had a worldwide following built it up. that led to that viewership. And in the end, God got the glory through that live on national TV. I was doing what I always do, either singing praise and worship songs while I'm walking up there, which is always being pumped in my ear on every live TV special, and also just thanking God for the opportunities and just being so appreciative for, for God just giving me the platform that he has. And my life has sort of been surreal. I don't look back on it often. I'm always looking forward. It's the way my mind is wired. I don't look back. But when I look back on my career, the mountains that God has moved in my life are overwhelming. And I, again, pinch myself often, and it doesn't seem real. It seems surreal to me to go, wait, I walked over Niagara Falls and the Grand Canyon and an active volcano, and I've had five (laughs) worldwide TV specials. That doesn't seem real to me. But God continues to place these crazy desires on my heart. You know, I often get asked, and I think the church is the most judgmental of all, unfortunately, often. And I get asked, aren't you testing God when you get on that wire? My answer to that is everything that I do, I train and prepare for. I believe God's place to desire my heart, but it's up to me to train and prepare for the worst case scenarios so that I know I can make it safely to the other side. The confidence I have in Christ is that if I were to fall, if I were to lose my balance, I know where I'm going if I were to fall. But if I was testing God, I would just get on that wire and never train, never practice, never prepare, not do years of studies of the environment Mm -hmm. and just say, all right, here we go. Trust in you, God, you'll catch me. This is just a very unique occupation that most people can't relate to, but it is life. My great grandfather said it best. He said, life is on the wire. Everything else is just waiting. That (laughs) is very, very true. It is true. I wanted to talk really briefly here about the volcano. Aaron Derry, you were supposed to do your part of this incredible performance from a helicopter. But the wind. Actually, I was really bummed out, and I thought that maybe I wasn't going to be able to perform with Nicholas. And then he was up pretty much all night mm-hmm. trying to think of, like, how am I going to rig this lira? Mm-hmm. And then he remembered the cart that they used for rescue, just in case something were mm-hmm, to mm-hmm, happen, mm-hmm. they would be able to, mm-hmm. you know, rescue Nick mm-hmm. from the wire. He was like, why don't we just rig the lira on that? And then we can bring you out to the center and then you can do your routine there. Uh, I was like, okay, well, I'll do whatever. And my heart was to do it like under the helicopter because, right. you know, it's more daring. Mm-hmm. But I was like, all right, I'm just going to be humble and do it that way. And I was just thankful that I was able to do it at all. I've got to tell you, the part where you hang by your toes yeah, over the volcano, you are amazing. Well, well thank you. Really you really are amazing. Thank you. Lots of practice. Well, Mr. Nick, I am a circus affectionado to the nth degree. This next big adventure as a co-owner of the Big Apple Circus. I've been to the Big Apple Circus. I love it. Hmm. It's just a natural fit. I'll touch quick on the Big Apple Circus and and how that all came about. But in that chapter, I think it's called Fear of Feathers. And, And in that chapter, I talk about 
Fear of Feathers. And the reason why that chapter is titled Fear of Feathers is my great-grandfather used to always say in the circus world or as an entertainer, one day you eat the chicken and the next day you eat the feathers. And what he was meaning by that is you don't know when your next paycheck is. And growing up in this industry, I saw my parents struggle financially in a major way and, and, and deal with bankruptcy and everything you could imagine as they were that starving artist. Oh, and yes. because of mm-hmm. that, I grew up with this fear of feathers, this mm-hmm. fear of starving, this fear of not being able to provide for my family, which mm-hmm. in turn created a fire inside of me. And I took that negative and turned it into something positive, And mm-hmm. I used that to drive me to be successful, but not only in the financial world, but really bring the name back to where it needs to be. Now, I've been blessed financially and in my career beyond my wildest dreams, but I still to this day deal with that, that Mm -hmm. anxiety of, and I try to give that to God and deal with it. When's the next paycheck? What am I going to do next? Mm -hmm. What am I working on? One of the reasons why my parents struggled was the circus world was sort of going away. Mm -hmm. You know, it is unfortunately the media as a whole has painted circus as something negative. The ironic thing is when my grandmother was on Ringling Brothers Marvin Bailey Circus, there were 800 draft horses alone to move that circus. So just handling 800 draft horses, leave everything out of it. But you would literally go to bed one night in a city and you would wake up the next morning and there would be a 15,000 seat mobile theater set up in your backyard. (laughs) There is nothing more organized. In fact, the military back in the day used to study circuses to learn how to move infantry. That's how organized they were. So the media has it backwards, and I think the media has a lot of things backwards, but we won't get into that. No. That being said, uh, the industry has sort of gone by the wayside, mm-hmm. if you will, and it's always been my heart's desire to give back to the industry that has given so much to mm-hmm. me. I often say I've walked across Niagara Falls and all these other places so that I could go back to the big top yes. and bring an audience to follow me. <laughs> but I've always had that fear, too, of if I invest all of this money that it takes to to make a circus and make it successful, will I be successful? Mm -hmm. So Big Apple Circus was an opportunity that came to me, came knocking on my door. I was offered an opportunity to be one of the owners. I have two partners. We are equal partners in Big Apple. How do you reinvent or rejuvenate? I don't think you can even reinvent it. An industry that is hundreds of years old, the oldest form of pure entertainment Remember, back when circus was around, it was the only form of entertainment. It would come to your town. You would see it. There weren't movie theaters. There was none of this other stuff. That's your your entertainment. So the goal is to get back to that. And how do I do that? And how do I, how do I get the demographic that thinks that circus is cheesy and corny into the big top so they realize it's not that. In fact, it's beautiful and it's athletes and it's often Olympic athletes that are performing alongside of me under that big top. It is something that I'm passionate about and a dream of mine to try to rejuvenate and bring it back to the heyday of what circus was and re-educate an audience who has been misinformed by the media. Oh, well, I couldn't agree more. I've seen uh, the Big Apple Circus and for our listeners, if you haven't, my understanding is that you're touch of magic has gone into the Big Apple Circus. And so for our listeners, if you're anywhere around New York during the season of the Big Apple Circus, you really, really need to go. Well, failure and success. We all have both. Failure is a stepping stone to success. There you go. Absolutely a stepping stone. Special thanks to Bot Radio Network's Mona Stafford for today's interview with Nick and Aaron Dira Walinda. Don't forget the brand new show, Nick Walinda's Zirkus, performing at Silver Dollar City now through July 24th, except for Thursdays. Get tickets and more details at silverdollarcity.com. Well, that's all for us on this edition of Mid South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time.